you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. And uh, let me invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're continuing our study through 2 Corinthians as a church together. And as you're doing so, it is a helpful reminder here we have uh, much of life now adorned with Christmassy things, right? Uh, Thanksgiving has passed, and here we are. Our worship service are, is adorned with the songs of Christmas uh, your house may be adorned with the things of Christmas. Maybe Amazon has already been coming to your house. Maybe you're one of those people who's exceptionally prepared and you have done exceptionally well. Maybe you're one of those people who is really fighting the temptation not to do that right now, and I appreciate uh, all of your labor in that. Ultimately, we are displaying, right? We are on display and we are displaying something and the significance of something. And really, as we come and direct our attention into the book of 2 Corinthians here today, we are going to see just how that the wonder of knowing Christ ought always to be on display in our lives, and really how knowing Christ is on display in the midst of all of our lives together. So if you would, grab your copy of God's Word, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 7, and uh, if you were reading along with me, you can read all the way down through verse 12. So read with me if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and this is what we read. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate you, Lord, as we celebrate the reality of Christmas and you sending your own son the first time, Father, as we rejoice together in all of that, remind us, Lord, that it's not simply an event to be celebrated, but it is a reminder that we are to know our Redeemer. And that in knowing our Redeemer, there are great effects and there are great impacts in our individual lives that are so full of frailty and impossible situations. Father, direct our eyes to see that our lives are to, to display your glory. Father, that how you have designed us, how you have placed us, how you have led us even to this moment now ought always to direct our eyes to you. So in all things and in every way, capture our attention, capture our affection that we may know, love, and enjoy Jesus together. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his great glory. Amen. That as we come to this point in 2 Corinthians, you know, you think about the wonders of who God is and the God of all comfort and the God who is full of grace and the God who raises the dead and the God who is always faithful and the God who, you know, is always sufficient, the God who is triumphant, the God who is amazing, the God who encourages us with his own glory as we saw last week. And so we pick up right from there and so we have these wonderful, really immediate impact that we are to see 
in our own lives as as those who know Christ as Savior and Lord. Because when we read even the first phrase of verse 7, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. He says, we have this treasure. Now, of course, this treasure that he's making reference to is what he just mentioned in verse 6 as he's talking about the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. It is a reminder for us that we ought to look at what we have in Christ. Now, especially this time of year, this is a time of year where we look at what we do not have. We make lists of the things that we do not have so that hopefully we will have someone see that list and provide for what we do not have. But how much more so even at this moment now, we ought to look to Christ and be reminded, look at what we have in Him. We have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure of salvation and hope and light and truth. And then when we see treasure and we recognize something as treasure, we're thankful for it. It's not hard to want to learn about it. When you see something that is a treasure and you recognize it for what it is, it's not hard to speak of it or even to enjoy it. You're glad to know all that you can learn about it. We get this a lot from children as they build their Christmas lists even. I don't know what, it is, what it's like in your house or maybe with your grandchildren or whatever else, but whenever they put something on there, they have done their research, right? They know what they're asking for. They can tell you every nuanced detail about it. They can tell you how much it costs, where to get it, where to find it, and if they, that place doesn't have it in stock, I can give you another, play, another supplier. It's like, man, you really must treasure this thing. You know everything that there is to know about it, it seems. How much more so when we treasure Christ? It's not hard. We love Him. We see Him for who He is and the wonder of knowing Him. But once you have this treasure, when we recognize what we have, then we think, okay, well, where are we going to keep it? What is God's design? He says we have this treasure in what? In jars of clay? Now, these jars of clay that he's making reference to were the common, everyday, sort of carry-all receptacles that they had. They were the Walmart bags of the first century. You can put anything in it. You can use it at any time. You can use it for any reason, and you can take it anywhere you want to go. The plastic totes, you might say, if you wanted to upgrade a little. The common containers in which we have the treasure of all treasures. Now, you look back at the days and what the uses were for the, I mean, they used them for all sorts of stuff. It could be as a junk drawer where you just sort of empty your first century pockets in there. Maybe you're, you're using it as a piggy bank and you're filling it up along the way because who's going to look in there, right? You can go to Qumran you can see how they hid scrolls in all these clay pots. Or if you were in a pinch and you really needed something in the middle of the night and you didn't want to go outside, it was often even used as a bedpan. Jars of clay, common, everyday, fragile, breakable, disposable, temporary things. See, as you think about the treasures that you have around your house, it's very unlikely that you keep them in a cardboard box. It's very unlikely that you have the most valuable thing in your house 
pinned to the wall inside of a Walmart bag somewhere. But listen to what he's saying here. As we think of the treasure of Christ, we have the treasure of all treasures, the Spirit of Christ Himself, the reality of the gospel that we are saved by grace through faith. We are forgiven and made right before a righteous and holy God. We have this in jars of clay. We are jars of clay. Under much stress and strain, we are prone to break. We are full of weakness. And if we are honest, we plainly know that. We are not called to be delusional clay pots, ever trying to display the reality of our own strength, knowing good and well that it's not really there. We are fragile on purpose and by design. Because we are designed to display God's glory, not ours. To display the surpassing power of knowing Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, the whole situation, the whole design is a display itself. Because when you have something precious, you want to put it on display. Some of you all have those family treasures, right? The, the Christmassy family treasures, and you want to put them on display somewhere. You want somebody in your house to say, where did that come from? Be like, I got a story for you. We like to display these things. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show, to display that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Our lives are to be a show of strength, just not our own. But God's, His surpassing power. Even the phrasing, even the words that are used there, if you get into the Greek text, it's the word from which we get hyperbole. What you would think would be beyond was, was an exaggeration, but it's not. The surpassing power belongs to God. Power beyond any measure to save and to sustain and to carry us through life, no matter where or what we may find ourselves in. The power belongs to God Himself, that our lives are to display His glory and His sufficiency and His care and His love. And it's on display through our weakness and our need and our frailty and our own inability to do it on our own. Admitting weakness is a hard thing to do. But how necessary it is for us to enjoy the fullness of what God is doing. That even the circumstances that display your own weakness becomes the context of God's display of His own power. If you want to read a wonderful book about this, J.I. Packer wrote a small little book. It's like 80 pages long. It's called Weakness is the Way. What a wonderful title that is. What a wonderful way of being reminded Weakness is the way, because it's in weakness that we experience and we enjoy the all-sufficient grace and strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God is teaching us to trust and enjoy Him. We all live to display something. We all have the name brand things that we like. You know, you got name brands on cars, and you got name brands on cups, and you got name brands on coolers, and you got name brands on shoes, and you got name brands on t shirts and hats and everything else. 
There are particular things that we like for particular reasons, and we want to display, right, all these things. But in Christ, when our life is in Christ, when we know Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, when we have this treasure in jars of clay, His name is branded on the clay pot. We belong to Him. This is all for His glory, not for ours. So that whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter where or what we find ourselves locked into, we know in Christ this is to display the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Which then leads us to ask, well, what ought we expect when the treasure of Christ is within us? Well, just a plain, very straightforward reading of the text is enough to say we ought not to expect that everything's going to be easy. We ought not pretend like it's always going to go the way we want it to. We ought not say that everything's going to work out the way that we would like it. But that we can look and say that our lives in Christ will display the indestructible, powerful life of Jesus even through suffering. He says in verse 8, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. He says we're afflicted in every way. He goes on and he, he, you can read more about this in 2 Corinthians 6 or 2 Corinthians 11. He makes reference to hardships and calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And that this is the expectation. He says we are afflicted. This is the reality we are living in. That life is not easy. That following Jesus is not easy. And that there is overarching pressure that should cause us to collapse and compress and bring us down to our knees and destroy us. We are not able or sufficient in ourselves to handle the pressure of life. We know this is the case, don't we? This is the testimony of every one of our lives. But in Christ, yes, we can say we are afflicted in every way, but in Christ we are not crushed. And see, this is the opposite of the expectation. And so then all of a sudden the display starts to stir attention. It's like you're standing there putting one of those glass ornaments on the tree and it slips out of your hand and it drops. And maybe you have hardwood or tile floors or something, and that thing hits the ground, what are you expecting it to do? Blow it up into a million pieces, right? And that thing drops and it hits the ground and clink. You're like, wait, what? It's not what you expected. All of a sudden you want to investigate a little. Did you see that? All of a sudden it gets interesting. And you start to wonder, well, what afflicts us today? As we think of those things in our own lives that are troubling, that, that cause us where we can pretend and say, hey, everything's fine, and then we, when we look away, we've got that grimace on our face. Those things that keep us awake at night, that bring us to the point of our own tears. The hurts of life that are often even more magnified during the holiday season. Remember, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember he who defeated sin and death and hell 
sustains his people. And that the troubles of life simply become an advertisement of his strength, of his power, of his all-sufficient grace. And I wonder, even as we read that part of this verse, do you have Jesus in your life holding you together when you slip out of somebody's hand? We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. This intellectual weakness of not knowing everything, of not even knowing what to say often. Where we just find ourselves repeating these fractured questions in the midst of fractured moments. Where it's, why this, or why that, or how come? Why now? Where you look at the circumstances and you're just at a loss. That at some point in your life, you may think you know everything, but at some point in your life, God will bring you to a point where your mouth just stops. And you don't know what to say. In Christ, realize we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We have a resource, and we have He who is our refuge. We have no reason to quit or give up because He encourages us from within. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted even, but not forsaken. Put to flight and chased, hunted down for Christ. The reality is the gospel offends. The gospel bothers people. It is an assault on our own pride. It is a declaration even from the very outset, you can't do this on your own. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've got a sin nature and we've got a sin action problem, all of which needs to be dealt dealt with and none of which you are qualified to deal with on your own. This is not fix yourself. This is run to Jesus for mercy. Run to Jesus for grace. And oftentimes that stirs the fires of persecution because people don't like that message. And whether that turns into open persecution that is physical, maybe it's being mocked for your own values and convictions, maybe it's being questioned for not towing the cultural line, and oftentimes this is expressed within family, by family, or among friends. He says, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. He sustains us. His grace is sufficient. No one can snatch us out of His hand. Jesus endured our forsakenness so that we would know we are not forsaken in Christ. Clay pots, not cast aside. Struck down but not destroyed. Brought to our knees, brought low. The heaviness of life just weighing us down. The strength of others even being exercised upon you. For those of you who have older siblings, you may be all too familiar with this. I can remember as a kid, every time my brother learned a new wrestling move, hey, come here for a second, were words I did not want to hear. Let me show you the figure four. I'm like, well, you know, what's the figure four? And then I immediately regret it. Let me show you the full Nelson. You don't want to know what that's like. Where somebody who is 
stronger than you is exercising strength over you and you don't have the strength to fight back. And what vivid imagery that in and of ourselves, what would happen if a clay pot was struck down, shattered to pieces, wouldn't be put back together again. That's how life often feels, isn't it? We're just being, feels like we're just being knocked over. Hit the ground, but not destroyed. The benefit of having Christ, of His strength, Him in us, knowing Him, who though every pressure externally exerted upon us in Christ, He holds us together from within. What's on display in your life? We don't need to pretend like just because we pull the Christmas carols out that everything's fine all of a sudden because we know good and well it's not. If in fact we admit the fact this is not easy, this is not the way I planned it, but Christ is sufficient. When we get there, when we get that display right, then all of a sudden it's not about how well I can keep it all together, how well I can keep the veneer up that it looks like everything's all put together in my life. It all becomes, look at what Christ has done. Look at what He's sustaining me through. Look at how He holds me together in what ought to destroy me. Glory be to Christ. Or as he goes on to say it, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He says always carrying, taking it wherever we go in whatever circumstances. See, we're like this with all sorts of stuff. Whenever you're walking out of the house, you you have certain things that you always have to carry with you, don't you? You know, you do the pocket check, right? I got my wallet, got my keys, got my cell phone. Maybe you carry one of those duffel bag purses and you're ready for the worst national emergency that could ever happen. You're like the picture of emergency preparedness. But it's just like, I can't go anywhere without it. I might need all this stuff. But in Christ, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Carrying Him in our daily lives, in all of our relationships, in all of our conversations, in all of our interactions, in all of the contexts that we find ourselves at home, at work, and everywhere else. Carrying the death of Christ. Christ crucified. Christ who endured the full outpouring of God's wrath against our sins so that all who have faith in Jesus would have forgiveness and everlasting life. Or to say it the way the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Always carrying around salvation and hope and forgiveness accomplished, given by grace. So that we take up our cross and follow Him. We die to sin and we die to self and we rejoice in the accomplishment of what Jesus did for us when He died on the cross and that the death of Christ brings 
forth life. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Because we know when he died on the cross and endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, he died, was buried, and three days later rose again. He's alive. He lives. What reason we have to rejoice in the fact that his resurrection life, his indestructible life, is at work in our lives. And that the life of Jesus in our lives is made known, manifested. So that as people are looking at your life and watching you walk through circumstances where it just looks like you ought to crumble under the stress and the strain. And they're looking at you and being like, how did you make it through that? What are you going to say? It's Christ. How did you endure that? How were you sustained through that? And that even when life concludes with the reality of weakness and you close your eyes in death, in Christ you have the hope of life. But I wonder as you think of your own life and you think of being a jar of clay and you think of that's maybe not the picture you want to have of your own life. But I wonder who in your life needs to see the power of Christ at work in you. I wonder which one of your children or grandchildren need to see that you've admitted your weakness and it's Christ that holds you together. It's not you that have it all put together, that you know all the answers all the time. It's Christ. So you die to sin and you die to self. And you see the life of Christ at work bearing forth compassion and kindness and patience and forgiveness and love. That you take that with you, carrying in your body, you take that with you to work, and you take that with you to school, and you take that with you to all the interactions with family and friends. Because he says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. He says, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. We who live in Christ, who have known the conviction of sin and have known the joy of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, who recognize our own worthiness, who recognize the worthiness of Christ alone, and who simply cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He says, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. If you want to get into a fun little grammar discussion here, you can talk about how this always being given over is described in a Greek term in a passive voice, which is a way of saying the subject is being acted upon, which is another way of saying this is a divine passive, that God is doing this. God is laying us into this. Paul isn't simply being repetitive here in verse 11, repeating what he just said in verse 10. He's saying God is guiding our circumstances. God is leading us into these things. That His glory would be on display when we walk into things where there's no other way I can make it through. Then we see the wonder and the enjoyment of having Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord within That even the hard things are for Jesus' sake. 
Persecution for Jesus' sake, hardship for Jesus' sake, suffering for Jesus' sake, impossible things for Jesus' sake. No matter the circumstance, no matter the extent of weakness, the context is life of Christ being made manifest. We ought to expect the life of Christ to be on display in our mortal lives of love and joy and peace, of all of the wonders of holiness, of all the reality of gratitude and giving thanks to God and the wonder of His grace and the wonder of His mercy. The life of Christ would be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And in thinking about this, it reminded me of a of a sweet lady that uh, I had the privilege of being a pastor to at one point. She was in the hospital, and she was not doing well. She was facing her final days in her life. Her husband had already gone through an extremely long illness and had passed away. Her oldest son, who was genius-level smart, had been in a horrible car accident and was paraplegic and really left in the state of about a 12-year-old boy. Her youngest son was an addict. You never knew where to find him or what he was going to be involved in. She had all manner of questions about the details of her grandkids and all was, did everything that she could to sow the seed of the gospel in their lives and care for them and love them. And you can look at her life and you can think that we would have all justified bitterness even in her own life because of all that she had walked through, all that she was living in, all of the weight of life that she was enduring even in her final moments. But I can remember getting off the elevator and rounding the corner in that hospital and I could hear her singing from down the hall. I could hear her singing the praises of Christ who had saved her and sustained her and carried her through all of what she was still walking through. I saw nurses walk out of that room with tears in their eyes. What was on display there? It wasn't the power of the life of her. It wasn't the powerful power of the life of all of what she had put together and all that she had figured out and how easy her life was. It was the life of Christ made manifest in her. He had saved her. He had kept her. He was her hope. He was carrying her through. And within a few short days, she had passed from this life into glory through faith in Jesus Christ. Life made manifest. Joy through tears. Love when you're hated. Endure when you're weak. Or to say it another way, that life is worth the living just because he lives. But see, it's manifested not simply for our own benefit. It's to point others. We're a display, remember? To point others to the sufficiency of Christ. To point others to trust in him. That your struggles now are not without purpose. They're to display him. Whether that's persecution and mistreatment, 
whether that's grief and sorrow and loss or frustration or just what feels like the unraveling of life, live confidently making known the life of Christ so that you may say, so death is at work in us. But life in you. You think of the lives of the Apostle Paul and Timothy going around and they are constantly laying down their lives, going around looking for ways to lay down their life, to make known the death of Christ, to make known the reality that Christ died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead, dying to display the death of Jesus. On display in the daily details of habits and the daily details of life and all the reality of ministry and every opportunity, we're costing a piece of life. But it's not like picking up the cliche of what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. It's what should kill you displays he who cannot die. What a better way of living. So death is at work in us, but life in you, so that you can look at your own circumstances and say, Lord, out of this bear forth life, and fully expect him to do that. As you endure the affliction and the struggle and the strain and the pressure and the perplexities of life, fully expect that Christ in you is at work through you and is displaying the surpassing power of him in the midst of your own life. So we cast aside prominence of self and we sow the seed of the death of Christ. We die to our own pride and we die to our sin and we die to self. And we live to make him known. His life in us. Isn't it interesting that this is exactly what Jesus said? I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who did we expect was in there? What are we expecting of him now? What evidence is there in you? What's on display in your life? What's in there? Because you might have the picture all put together. You might have the Christmas card that everybody's jealous of. You think, oh, look at how they're put together, they all have it. You might have gotten everybody to smile at the same time, which is near about impossible. You might have it all looking good on the outside and knowing good and well that you're just about to crack. Because there's nothing in there holding you together. And the stress and strain of life is about to bring you to your knees. It's time to admit weakness is the way. It's time for you to admit you can't do it and you weren't designed to. Jars of clay weren't, weren't designed to display the surpassing power of jars of clay. You need Christ. You need to recognize that, yes, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have a sin nature. It's in you. And that sin nature gives way to sinful actions. And it's on display in your own life. And that you need to recognize that that reality separates you, isolates you from the righteous and the holy God in any way of friendship and kindness. 
but that He in His love sent His Son to pursue us. He came in the flesh and was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, went to the cross and died on the cross for our sin, bearing the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin that all who repent and believe have forgiveness and everlasting life in His name. The way is not put yourself together. The way is not put, put, you know, put a new coat of paint on the, plate, on the clay pot. The way is not just try to find some other way. The way is not figure it out on your own. The way is trust in Christ. You can't do it without Him. Won't you trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Won't you embrace the reality of the display and the design for the display that though all things in our lives ought to bring us to our knees, in Christ we are sustained to the glory of God the Father. Trust Him today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You are amazing. Lord, we pray that by your spirit and for your glory, you would shine the light of your holiness upon our own lives. Upon every clay pot here in this place. Father, you know which clay pots in this place are empty. And Father, we pray that you would fill them today. the people who do not yet know you would turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I would not only have forgiveness and everlasting life, but would know the strength of Christ within them. Father, save them that you may sustain them to your everlasting glory. Father, for all of us in here, who are ever eager to display our own strength and our own wits and our own wisdom and our own ways of sorting all things out. Teach us to embrace weakness that your surpassing power may be on display. Lord, work a mighty work in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.